Section eight of Vice Versa by F. Anstey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vice Versa by F. Anstey. Chapter seven. Cutting the knot. A crowd is not company, and faces are but a gallery of pictures. And talking but a tinkling cymbal where there is no love bacon once more mr bultitude rose betimes dressed noiselessly and stole down to the cold schoolroom where one gas-jet was burning palely for the morning was raw and foggy this time however he was not alone Mr. Blinkhorn was sitting at his little table in the corner, correcting exercises, with his chilly hands cased in worsted mittens. He looked up as Paul came in, and nodded kindly. Paul went straight to the fire, and stood staring into it with lacklustre eye. Too pathetic even to be hopeless, for the work of enlightening the doctor seemed more terrible and impossible than ever— and he began to see that, if the only way of escape lay there, he had better make up his mind with what philosophy he could to adapt himself to his altered circumstances and stay on for the rest of the term. But the prospect was so doleful and so blank that he drew a heavy sigh as he thought of it. Mr. Blinkhorn heard it, and rose awkwardly from the rickety little writing-table, knocking over a pile of marble-covered exercise-books as he did so. Then he crossed over to Paul, and laid a hand gently on his shoulder. "'Look here,' he said. "'Why don't you confide in me? "'Do you think I'm blind to what has happened to you? "'I see the change in you if others cannot. "'Why not trust me?' Mr. Bultitude looked up into his face which had an honest interest and kindliness in it and his heart warmed with a faint hope if this one man had been shrewd enough to guess at his unhappy secret might he not be willing to interfere with the doctor for him he looked good-natured he would trust him do you mean to say you really he asked with more cordiality than he had spoken for a long time. "'That you see the—the uh, the difference?' "'I saw it almost directly,' said Mr. Blinkhorn, with mild triumph. "'That's the most extraordinary thing,' said Paul. "'And yet it ought to be evident enough to be sure. But no—' "'You can't have guessed the real state of things. "'Listen and stop me if I'm wrong. "'Within the last few days a great change has been at work within you. "'You are not the idle, thoughtless, mischievous boy "'who left here for his holidays.' "'No,' said Paul. "'I'll swear I'm not.' "'There is no occasion for such strong expressions.' "'But at all events you come back here an altogether different being. "'Am I right in saying so?' "'Perfectly,' said Paul, overjoyed at being so thoroughly understood. "'Perfectly. You're a very intelligent young man, sir. 
shake hands why i shouldn't be surprised after that if you knew how it all happened that too said mr blinkhorn smiling i can guess it arose i doubt not in a wish yes cried paul you've hit it again you're a conjurer sir by gad you are don't say gad bultitude it's inconsistent it began i was saying in a wish half unconscious perhaps to be something other than what you had been i was a fool groaned mr bultitude yes that was the way it began then insensibly the wish worked a gradual transformation in your nature are you old enough to follow me old enough to follow him to follow me thought paul but he was too pleased to be annoyed hardly gradual i should say he said aloud but go on sir pray go on i see you know all about it at first the other part of you struggled against the new feelings you strove to forget them you even tried to resume your old habits your former way of life but to no purpose and when you came here you found no fellowship amongst your companions quite out of the question said paul their pleasures give you no delight not a bit they on their side perhaps misunderstand your lack of interest in their pursuits they cannot see how should they that you have altered your mode of life and when they catch the difference between you and the richard bultitude they knew why they are apt to resent it they are agreed mr bultitude they resent it in a confounded disagreeable way you know why i assure you that only last night i was hush said mr blinkhorn holding up one hand complaints are unmanly but i see you wonder at my knowing all this well said paul i am rather surprised what would you say if i told you i had undergone it myself in my time you don't mean to tell me there are two garuda stones in this miserable world cried paul thoroughly astonished i don't know what you mean now but i can say with truth that i too have had my experiences my trials months ago from certain signs i noticed i foresaw that this was coming upon you then said poor bultitude i think in common decency you might have warned me a postcard would have done it i should have been better prepared to meet this then it would have been worse than fruitless to attempt to hurry on the crisis it might have even prevented what i fondly hoped would come to pass fondly hoped said paul upon my word you speak plainly sir yes said mr blinkhorn you see i knew the dick bultitude that was so well he was frolicsome impulsive mischievous even but under it all there lay a nature of sterling worth sterling worth 
cried Paul. A scoundrel, I tell you, a heartless, selfish young scoundrel. Call things by their proper names, if you please. No, no, said Mr. Blinkhorn. This extreme self-deprecation is morbid, very morbid. There was no actual vice. No actual vice? Why, God bless my soul, do you call ingratitude the basest, most unfilial, most treacherous ingratitude? No vice, sir. You may be a very excellent young man, but if you gloss over things in that fashion, your moral sense must be perverted, sir, strangely perverted. There were faults on both sides, I fear said mr blinkhorn growing a little scandalized by the boy's odd warmth of expression i have heard something of what you had to bear with on the one hand a father undemonstrative stern easily provoked on the other a son thoughtless forgetful and at times it may be even wilful but you are too sensitive you think too much of what seems to me a not unnatural, although, of course, improper, protest against coldness and injustice. I should be the last to encourage a child against a parent, but, to comfort your self-reproach, I think it right to assure you that, in my judgment, the outburst you refer to was very excusable. Oh! said paul you do you call that comfort excusable why what the deuce do you mean sir you're taking the other side now this is not the language of penitence bultitude said poor mr blinkhorn disheartened and bewildered remember you have put off the old man now i'm not likely to forget that said paul i only wish i could see my way to putting him on again you wish to be your old self again gasped mr blinkhorn why of course i do said paul angrily i'm not an idiot you are weary of the struggle so soon said the other with reproach weary i tell you i'm sick of it if i had only known what was in store for me before i had made such a fool of myself this is horrible said mr blinkhorn i ought not to listen to you but you must urged paul i tell you i can't stand it any longer i'm not fit for it at my age you must see that yourself and you must make grimstone see it too never said mr blinkhorn firmly nor do i see how that would help you I will not let you go back in this deplorable way. You must nerve yourself to go on now in the path you have chosen. You must force your schoolfellows to love and respect you in your new character. Come, take courage. After all, in spite of your altered life, there is no reason why you should not be a frank and happy-hearted boy, you know a frank and happy-hearted fiddlestick cried paul rudely he was so disgusted at the suggestion don't talk rubbish sir i thought you were going to show me some way out of all this and instead of that 
knowing the shameful way i've been treated you can stand there and calmly recommend me to stay on here and be happy-hearted and frank you must be calm bultitude or i shall leave you listen to reason you are here for your good youth it has been beautifully said is the springtime of life though you may not believe it you will never be happier than you are now our school days are but mr bultitude could not tamely be mocked with the very platitudes that had brought him all his misery he cut the master short in a violent passion this is too much he cried you shall not palm off that miserable rubbish on me i see through it it's a plot to keep me here and you're in it it's false imprisonment and i'll write to the times i'll expose the whole thing this violence is only ridiculous said mr blinkhorn if i were not too pained by it i should feel it my duty to report your language to the doctor as it is you have bitterly disappointed me i can't understand it at all you seemed so subdued so softened lately but until you come to me and say you regret this i must decline to have anything more to say to you take your book and sit down in your place and he went back to his exercises looking puzzled and pained the fact was he was an ardent believer in the good boy of a certain order of school tales the boy who is seized with a sudden conviction of the intrinsic baseness of boyhood and does all in his power to get rid of the harmful taint the boy who renounces his old comrades and his natural tastes which after all seldom have any serious harm in them to don a panoply of priggishness which is too often kick-proof this kind of boy is rare enough at most english schools but mr blinkhorn had been educated at a large nonconformist college where revivals and awakenings were periodical and undoubtedly did produce changes of character violent enough but sadly short in duration he was always waiting for some such boy to come to him with his confession of moral worthlessness and vows of unnatural perfection and he was too simple and earnest and good himself to realize that such states of the youthful mind are not infrequently merely morbid and hysterical and too often degenerate into pharisaism or worse still hypocrisy so when he noticed mr bultitude's silence and depression his studied withdrawal from the others and his evident want of sympathy with them he believed he saw the symptoms of a conscience at work and that he had found his reformed boy at last it was a very unfortunate misunderstanding for it separated paul from perhaps the only person who would have had the guilelessness to believe his incredible story and the good nature to help him to find escape from his misfortunes mr bultitude on his part was more angry and disgusted than ever he began to see that there was a muddle somewhere and that his identity was unsuspected still this young man for all his fair speaking and pretended shrewdness was no conjurer after all he was left to rely on his own resources 
and he had begun to lose all confidence in their power to extricate him as he brooded over this the boys straggled down as before and looked over their lessons for the day in a dull lifeless manner the cold unsatisfying breakfast and the half-hour assigned to chevy followed in due course and after that paul found himself with a class to await the german master herr stolwasser he had again tried to pull himself together and approach the doctor with his protest but no sooner did he find himself near his presence than his heart began to leap wildly and then retired down towards his boots leaving him hoarse palpitating and utterly blank of ideas it was no use and he resigned himself for yet another day of unwelcome instruction the class was in a little room on the basement floor with a lean press taking up one side some bare white deal tables and forms and on the walls a few coloured german prints they sat there talking and laughing taking no notice of mr bultitude until the german master made his appearance he was by no means a formidable person though stout and tall he wore big round owlish spectacles and his pale broad face and long nose combined with a wild crop of light hair and a fierce beard gave him the incongruous appearance of a sheep looking out of a gun-port he took his place with an air of tremendous determination to enforce a hard morning's work on the book they were reading a play of schiller's of the plot of which it is needless to say no one of his pupils had or cared to have the vaguest notion having long since condemned the whole subject with insular prejudice as rot now please said herr stolwasser where we left off last term third act first scene caught before tell's house tell is with the carpenter axe hedwig with the domestic labor occupied walter and wilhelm in the depth sport with a little crossbow biddlecombe you begin walter sings but biddlecombe was in a conversational mood and willing to postpone the task of translation so he merely inquired with an air of extreme interest how herr stolwasser's german grammar was getting on this was a subject on which as he perhaps knew the german never could resist enlarging for in common with most german masters he was giving birth to a new grammar which from the daring originality of its plan and its extreme simplicity was destined to supersede all other similar works ach he said it is progressing i have just completed a comprehensive table of the regular verbs with exercises upon them and there is further an appendix which in itself contains a concise view of all the word-plays possible in the charming tongue but come let us continue with our tale what are word-plays persisted biddlecombe insidiously having no idea of continuing with his tell just yet a word-play explained herr stolwasser it is english nicht so a sporting with words a galumbo god bless me what do you call a pun like the one you made when you were a young man 
Jolland called out from the lower end of the table. "'Yes, tell us the one you made when you were a young man,' the class entreated, with flattering eagerness. Herr Stuhlwasser began to laugh with slow, deep satisfaction, the satisfaction of a successful achievement. "'Ah, you remember that?' he said. "'Ah, yes, I make him when a young man.' but i mind you he was not a pun he was a joke i have told you all about him before we've forgotten it said biddlecombe tell it us again as a matter of fact this joke in all its lights was tolerably familiar to most of them by this time but either on its individual merits or perhaps because it compared favourably with the sterner alternative of translating it was periodically in request, and always met with evergreen appreciation. Herr Stolwasser beamed with the pride of authorship. Like the celebrated Scotchman, he joked with difficulty, and the outcome of so much labour was dear to him. I sent him in to the German Kladderattach. It is a paper like your punch. It my joke was upon the Schleswig-Holstein complication the beginning was in this way and he proceeded to set out in great length all the circumstances which had given materials for his joke with the successive processes by which he had shaped and perfected it passing on to a recital of the masterpiece itself and ending up by a philosophical analysis of the same which must have placed his pupils in full possession of the point for they laughed consumedly i tell you this he said not to accustom your minds with frivolity and lightness but as a lesson in the construction of the language if you can joke in german you will be able also to converse in german did the german what's its name print your joke inquired coggs it has not appeared yet herr stolwasser confessed it takes a long time to get an important joke like that out in print but i wait i write to the times every week and i wait why don't you put it in your grammar suggested tipping i have the greater part of it it was a long joke but i compressed him if i have time some day i will make another little joke to accompany because i want my grammar to be a good grammar you understand and now to our tell really you people do nothing but chatter all this of course had no interest for mr bultitude but it left him free to pursue his own thoughts in peace and indeed this lesson would never have been recorded here but for two circumstances which will presently appear both which had no small effect on his fortunes he sat nearest the window and looked out on the pinched and drooping laurels in the enclosure which were damp with frost melting in the sunshine over the wall he could see the tops of passing vehicles the country carrier's cart the railway parcel van the fly from the station he envied even the drivers their lot was happier than his his thoughts were busy with dick oddly enough it had scarcely occurred to him before to speculate on what he might be doing in his absence he had thought chiefly about himself but now he gave his attention to the subject 
what new horrors it opened up what might not become of his well-conducted household under the rash rule of a foolish schoolboy the office too who could say what mischief dick might not be doing there under the cover of his own respectable form then it might seem good to him any day to smash the garuda stone and after that there would be no hope of matters being ever set right again and yet miserable coward and fool that he was with everything depending upon his losing no time to escape he could not screw up his courage and say the words that were to set him free all at once and this is one of the circumstances that make the german lesson an important stage in this story an idea suggested itself to him quite dazzling by its daring and brilliancy some may wonder when they hear what it was why he never thought of it before and it is somewhat surprising but by no means without precedent artemus ward has told us somewhere of a ferocious bandit who was confined for sixteen years in solitary captivity before the notion of escape ever occurred to him when it did he opened the window and got out perhaps a similar passiveness on mr bultitude's part was due to a very natural and proper desire to do everything without scandal and in a legitimate manner to march out as it were with the honours of war perhaps it was simple dullness the fact remains that it was not till then that he saw a way of recovering his lost position without the disagreeable necessity of disclosing his position to any one at christian house he had still thank heaven the five shillings he had given dick he had not thrown them away with the other articles in his mad passion five shillings was not much but it was more than enough to pay for a third-class fare to town he had only to watch his opportunity slip away to the station and be at home again defying the usurper before any one at christian house had discovered his absence he might go that very day and the delight of this thought the complete reaction from blank despair to hope was so intense that he could not help rubbing his hands stealthily under the table and chuckling with glee at his own readiness of resource when we are most elated however there is always a counteracting agent at hand to bring us down again to our proper level or below it the roman general in the triumph never really needed the slave in the chariot to dash his spirits he had his friends there already the guests at an egyptian dinner must have brought their own skeletons there was a small flaxen-haired little boy sitting next to mr bultitude seemingly a quite inoffensive being who at this stage served to sober him by furnishing another complication oh i say bultitude he piped shrilly in paul's ear i forgot all about it where's my rabbit the unreasonable absurdity of such a question annoyed him excessively is this a time he said reprovingly to talk of rabbits mind your book sir oh i dare say grumbled little porter the boy in question it's all very well but i want my rabbit hang it sir said paul angrily do you suppose i'm sitting on it you promised to bring me back a rabbit persisted porter doggedly you know you did and it's a beastly shame 
I mean to have that rabbit or know the reason why. At the other end of the table, Biddlecombe had again dexterously allured Herr Stolwasser into the meshes of conversation, this time upon the question a propos de dot of street performances. I will tell you a curious thing, he was saying. What happened to me the other day when I was walking down the strand? I saw a little common dirty boy with a tall round hat on him, and he stands in the side street, right out in the road, and he take off his tall round hat, and he put it on the ground, and he stands still and looks so at it. So I stop to see what he would do next. And presently he take out a large sheet of paper and tear it up into four pieces very carefully and sticks em round the tall round hat and put it on his head again and then he set it down on the ground and look at it once more and all the time he never speak one word and i look and look and wonder what he would do next and a great crowd of peoples come and they look and wonder too and then all at once the little dirty boy he take out all the paper and put on the hat and he walk away laughing altogether foolishly at something i did not understand at all i have been thinking ever since what in the world he do all that nonsense for and there is one other curious thing i see in your london streets that very same day there was a poor house-cat that had been by a cab overrun as i passed by and one man with a kind warm heart walk up and stamp it on the head for to end its pain and another man with another kind heart he come up directly and had not seen the cat overrun but he see the first man stamping and he knock him down for ill-treating animals it was quite a curious thing to see till the policemen arrest them both for fighting cogs decline cats and give me the perfect and past participle of kampfen to fight this last relapse into duty was caused by the sudden entrance of the doctor who stood at the door looking on for some time with a general air of being intimately acquainted with schiller as an author before suggesting graciously that it was time to dismiss the class wednesday was a half holiday at christian house and so soon after dinner paul found himself marshalled with the rest in a procession bound for the football field they marched two and two chawner and three of the other elder boys leading with the ball and four goal-posts ornamented with coloured calico flags and mr blinkhorn and mr tinkler bringing up the rear mr bultitude was paired with tom grimstone who after eyeing him askance for some time could control his curiosity no longer i say dick he began what's the matter with you this term my name is not dick said paul stiffly oh if you're so particular then said tom but without humbug what is the matter you see a change then said paul you see a difference eh rather said tom expressively you've come back what i call a beastly sneak you know this term 
the other fellows don't like it they'll send you to coventry if you don't take care i wish they would said paul you don't talk like the same fellow either continued tom you use such fine language and you're always in a bait and yet you don't stick up for yourself as you used to look here tell me we were always chums is it one of your larks larks said paul i'm in a fine mood for larks no it's not one of my larks perhaps your old governor has been making a cad of himself then and you're out of sorts about it i'll thank you not to speak about him in that way said paul in my presence why grumbled tom i'm sure you said enough about him yourself last term it's my belief you're imitating him now ah said paul and what makes you think that why you go about strutting and swelling just like he did when he came about sending you here i say do you know what mums said about him after he went away no said paul your mother struck me as a very sensible and agreeable woman if i may say so to her son well mum says your governor seems to leave you here just like they leave umbrellas at picture galleries and she believed he had a large-sized money-bag inside him instead of a heart oh said paul with great disgust for he had thought mrs grimstone a woman of better taste your mother said that did she vastly entertaining to be sure <laughs> he would be pleased to know she thought that i'm sure tell him and see what he says suggested tom he is an awful brute to you though isn't he if growled mr bultitude slaving from morning till night to provide education and luxury for a thankless brood of unprofitable young vipers is being a brute i suppose he is why you're sticking up for him now said tom i thought he was so strict with you wouldn't let you have any fun at home and never took you to pantomimes and why should he sir why should he tell me that tell me why a man is to be hunted out of his comfortable chair after a well-earned dinner to go and sit in a hot theatre on a thorough drought yawning at the miserable drivel managers choose to call a pantomime now in my young days there were pantomimes i tell you sir i've seen oh if you're satisfied i don't care said tom astonished at this apparent change of front if you choose to come back and play the corker like this it's your lookout only if you knew what sprowl major said about you just now i don't want to know said paul it doesn't concern me perhaps it doesn't concern you what pa thinks either dad told mums last night that he was altogether at a loss to know how to deal with you you had come back so queer and unruly and he said let me see oh he said that if he didn't see an alteration very soon he should resort to more drastic measures drastic measures is latin for a whopping good gracious thought paul i haven't a moment to lose 
he might resort to drastic measures this very evening i can't change my nature at my time of life i must run for it and soon then he said aloud tom can you tell me my my young friend if supposing a boy were to ask to leave the field saying for instance that he was not well and thought he should be better at home whether he would be allowed to go of course he would said tom you ought to know that by this time you've only to ask blinkhorn or tinkler they'll let you go right enough paul saw his course quite clearly now and was overcome with relief and gratitude he wrung the astonished tom's hand warmly thank you he said briskly and cheerfully thank you i'm really uncommonly obliged to you you're a very intelligent boy i should like to give you sixpence but although tom used no arguments to dissuade him mr bultitude remembered his position in time and prudently refrained from such ill-judged generosity sixpences were of vital importance now when he expected to be starting so soon on his perilous journey and so they reached the field where the game was to be played and where paul resolved to have one desperate throw of liberty and home he was more excited than anxious as he thought of it and it certainly did seem as if all the chances were in his favour and that fortune must have forsaken him indeed if anything were allowed to prevent his escape End of chapter seven